Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift of um, this new day. Thank you so much for the gift of life. Lord, help us to, through the passage today as Christians to know how we should use our lives in partnership with you. Our theme is life mission. Thank you, Lord, that you lead and equip us for this task. Amen. If you want to follow, I'm going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel and it's... um, well, different bits of Matthew's Gospel, but mainly page 1001, Matthew 28. It's part of our series, uh, which is the post-resurrection encounters with Jesus. Quite a few of us, I think, are doing um, 40 days with Jesus as well as part of our small group studies. If you're feeling bereft and you're not in a small group, it's never too late to sign up. I don't know how many sessions we've got left, but it's so good to be part of small groups. Um, we're going to be soon entering uh, what I call the graduation season. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? People at different stages of life graduating from things. Um, I think, uh, have we got any uh, parents of jigsaw children in the church this morning? I know there's a few around. I know their leaders are going to be very, very sad to see some of them go to big school. I imagine they'll make a bit of a fuss. What about those moving from infants to juniors or juniors to seniors or seniors to university? What about those that are waiting, that have made it to the end of the course, which we hope all our four children will, um, uh, and be graduated with cloak and gown and sent off into the big wide world uh, to do their stuff? Today, we've got two people who've been with us, some for quite a few years, hello Jamie, and some maybe not quite as long, hello Sarah, who are in a sense going to be graduating. They've done their time with us and today we're going to be sending them off uh, to be a youth minister and a curate. And it's been a privilege for me in my short time to journey with you but also a privilege to be part of a church that doesn't just train people and keep them, but a church that trains people to send them to be part of God's work in the wider world. Mission was the central purpose of Jesus. Some of you will have heard the term missio dei, the mission of God, the mission of God to the world. In John 3.16... We hear, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Jesus' life on earth was the embodiment of God's mission. Proclaiming and being good news in words and action, preaching, healing, delivering, demonstrating God's love with these and many other signs and wonders. We believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. But when he came to earth, he limited his divine nature. Jesus' public ministry began with baptism. At his baptism, Jesus, God the Son was assured of the love of God 
the Father and was anointed for mission and ministry by God the Holy Spirit. We too both need the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit and the assurance of God the Father's love. God the Holy Spirit then took Jesus into the wilderness where he was stripped of all creature comforts and the protection of God and was tested by Satan. His dependency on God the Father was tested to the limit. The third test, you'll know it well, recorded in Matthew 4 verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I'm going to give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And his angel, and angels came and attended him. God's angels came and attended him. Even before Jesus had done ministry or mission, before he'd called his first disciple, his mission to redeem the world was in jeopardy if he succumbed to the devil's temptation. Fast forward to our passage for today, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Authority, Worship and baptism are central themes in both Matthew 4 and Matthew 28. Mountains, interestingly, for those that are bothered, feature in both passages. The scene, the disciples encounter the crucified, risen Jesus. They'd seen Jesus tortured and killed. Must have been thinking, what does all this mean? Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus is the focus of their worship. Jesus' focused worship is the essential foundation to our partnership with God and his mission to the world. Yet because of a lack of divine revelation, or maybe their human limitations, some disciples doubted. Like the first disciples, our understanding and belief can be mixed with some questions and even some doubts. I'm not talking about unbelief here. We may take some questions with us to the grave and then to God's throne of grace. What doubts do you harbour? What big questions would you ask? How wonderful that Jesus didn't give his attention, his worship or his authority to anything or anyone else. 
Certainly not Satan, a created being, a fallen angel. How wonderful it is that Jesus didn't give up his calling to the cross. We sort of take it for granted, but it must have been tempting for him to bottle it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verse 39, falling face down to the ground, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Hard for us to enter into that, but it helps us if we do. Then he says, Yet not as I will, but as you will. God the Father's will was done. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Then with his resurrection from the dead, triumphed over sin and death. This gives him and him alone supreme authority to commission others to partner in his divine mission to the world. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I want to highlight today three aspects of God's mission. Firstly, authority for mission mission comes from God. Secondly, God's commission to make disciples. And thirdly, God's promise to be with us always. So firstly, Jesus is God. His authority to commission us for mission comes from God the Father. Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the God of heaven and earth, of everything that lives and breathes and has its being. Jesus demonstrates his authority over sickness, authority over the wind and the waves, authority over the spiritual forces of evil, authority over sin and death. Jesus longs to be reconciled, be in right relationship with all of us. Matthew 9 verse 6 states that Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sins. Do any of us need to do that for the first time this morning and receive his forgiveness and to put our faith in him? You see, repentance for the forgiveness of sins is a prerequisite to being adopted into God's family. It comes with a need to recognize who Jesus is, to put him first in our lives, God is and should be our focus for worship and our reason for being. And to a non-Christian, that might seem a little bit weird. And for those of us who are Christians, it's a constant struggle, but we do it with his help. How wonderful for us 
that Jesus would choose these disciples that had abandoned him in his hour of need and gave them authority to be his ambassadors in his mission to the world. This leads to my second main point today. The goal of our mission is God's commission to make disciples for Jesus. Matthew 28 highlights three um, particular ways that this is done. So I've got three subheadings uh, for his disciples in their disciple making. Firstly, to go. Secondly, to baptize. And thirdly, to teach. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Couldn't be clearer. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Making disciples is encouraging others to be learners from and followers of Jesus. Discipleship is not a passive thing. It requires us to go and be disciple-making disciples. We're not just to wait for people to come, although we can wait in Holy Trinity Claygate for people to come, and they do come, and God sends them. But I think we'd be much more effective if we go out as well. Mark 16, 15 and 16, Jesus says to them, Go to all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. I am to think we have such good news. Just a bit of a rhetorical question. Um, a little bit of thinking time. Does anyone else think that we have a bit of good news to be able to share? I think it should fire us and excite us. Sometimes when I come to passages like Matthew 28, I just get the impression, I speak on this quite a lot, that I'm speaking into a context where you've just heard it all before. And sometimes it loses its potency. But it shouldn't, should it? If you're feeling like that this morning, you need to pray. This is really a big deal. Um, on an 8 o'clock service, someone said that these five, they're just five verses. These are five verses at the end of Matthew's gospel that transform the church and transform the world. Five verses. If you cut these five verses, I know we've got them in Mark as well, we're not left with much of a clear direction when it comes to mission. We need to pay attention to these five verses. We're called to go. Why? Romans 10, 14 to 17. Because it's only through the hearing of the good news that people can believe and be saved. Anyone that tells you just preach the gospel with your good deeds is telling you a load of rubbish. We need to back up our good deeds with words. If folks don't have it explained to them, how on earth will they know who to give their lives to? All of us are sent to the unique places that we're called to operate. Some of us are taking the call to go to another level. A few of you, I think some people here, who's been involved in pop-up connections at Wingham Court? Have any of you? Well, there's a couple of people here. Well, praise God for that. You have to communicate the good news, probably more with actions than words in that setting, actually. How about those? We go as we do pastoral visiting. Who does pastoral visiting? I do from time to time. We do it by offering prayer ministry on the streets at the parade. Who does that as part of our congregation? There's one or two of you that are here. We go by visiting all the homes in our parish. Quite a few of you. I went for the first time yesterday. 
I actually find this quite exciting. I know it's a little bit scary for some of you, but visiting people, you don't know what their action's going to be. We got some interesting ones. Six of the first seven people or houses we visited yesterday didn't even open their doors. They were too busy doing other things. So that tells you a story about our community. One did open their door. They're a Christian, just had a stroke, said, I'm a Christian. I don't go to your church. When the time comes, can I be buried by you? Is that okay? Of course It's okay. I said, don't wait for your funeral to come and talk to us, though. Come and be part of this family. Others, too. One person I could tell, really apologize. I've been trained very correctly by Kim and others. I just say, we only want two minutes of your time. Is that okay? Apologetic, apologetic. It wasn't really. A bloke gave us two minutes straight in. God doesn't exist. You're all this, that, and the other. I thought he'd want to slam the door in our face, but he was very happy to talk. I hope he's going to run out of things to say in order to think, actually, I've run out with all of my objections. Maybe, just maybe. And the person that was with me, who really doesn't like doing this thing at all and feels he shouldn't be doing it, but has come pretty much every week, just shared his testimony. I looked down. Praying, praying, praying. Couldn't look at the person in their eyes. Thought he was going to be shut down. He wasn't. It's made me think, we can do cosy church here, but there's a world out there dying without coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, it's a real, real challenge. There were other good news stories and encouragement. We issued a big invitation to come, come to church. We don't know if anyone's going to come or not. It really doesn't matter. We'd love them to come and grapple with some questions. But just for those few moments, maybe we demonstrated something of the living, loving presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go in so many other ways as we lovingly engage, lovingly engage with others in the ordinary stuff of life. You don't have to be doing this extra stuff, although it helps. You just have to live and be as Christians where God places you. All of us can participate in this call to go through prayer. So no Christian is exempt. Point two of my second point. Disciple-making disciples would encourage believers to be baptised. Baptism is the way that someone makes public that they have become a Christian. It's an outward and very, very visible sign of our inner faith. When children have been baptised as infants, parents make the covenant Promises with God on their behalf. We encourage these children when they grow up to own these baptism promises for themselves at confirmation. We had seven such candidates. I've seen one that I'm not going to embarrass. Um, a couple of weeks ago. It's wonderful. Like they're really serious about doing this Jesus stuff. Let's pray for them that they continue 
to be faithful. Baptism and confirmation encourage essential steps of faith, a way to repent and state your belief in God. In baptism, you might have used slightly different words at your baptism, but it all means the same. We ask some simple but profound questions, life-transforming questions. First, and not everyone wants to do this, do you turn away from sin? The response, I do. The second, and most people sign up for this because they wouldn't want to be involved with this sort of stuff. Do you reject evil? I do. The third, this is where it starts to get a little bit tricky. Do you turn to Christ as saviour? You've got to know that you need rescuing or saving for something before you do this. I do. The fourth, do you trust him as Lord, your boss, your main reference point in life? Really, really tricky for people who want at their funeral. I did it my way. I always think that's quite brave. I do. If you're a Christian, you should be baptised. If you are baptised as a baby, I strongly recommend you making an adult public declaration of your faith through confirmation. I'm convinced that baptisms make more baptisms. We did a few last week. We're doing some at the next service. I'm convinced that testimonies about God and his good news make more testimonies. People are transformed when we tell our stories of God's activity in our lives. Maybe all of us, with God's help, can encourage more people to respond to God's big invitation to get to know Jesus personally. And I commend, we don't do one for a little while, but church is all right um, every week. Alpha Course seems to help people as well. I didn't say church is all right. I didn't mean that. I mean, it's very, very, very good indeed. And thank you for paying my wages. Point, uh, point two, third point. Disciple-making disciples are called to teach the faith. Disciples are lifelong learners from Jesus. We are to teach what we know. And if we don't know very much, we don't teach very much. Most of us know most of what we know because it's been Um, found in the scriptures and we've been taught it but it also flows out of a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ I don't understand this but I think when I came to faith it's just something awakened in me and maybe all those sleepy times I'd had in church growing up all of a sudden gone God with his spirit sort of awakened that in me but I've uh, led other people to faith who haven't had that background and somehow They seem to know stuff that they really shouldn't know about God. God writes his laws on our hearts and minds and not on tablets of stone. His Holy Spirit is living and active in our lives and teaches us. We're commissioned, Matthew 28, verse 20, to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. 
We obey because it's the best way to live, not because we have to, but it's wise to, in the assurance that God lives in us and will help us. We teach the faith in public worship through word and sacrament. We teach the faith in our small groups, like the 40 Days with Jesus material, so that we're effective and stay faithful on our lifelong journey of faith. We teach the faith through our children and youth ministries. We teach the faith through how we live our lives, how we run our homes, how we raise our children, how we conduct our life and work. My third main point The deep assurance of participating in God's mission is that he promises to be with us. His holy presence lives in us. His holy presence empowers us. His holy presence guides us. At Christmas, we focus on Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1.23. In the passage today, the last chapter of Matthew's gospel, the last five verses as we read them, we know that the time of Jesus' physical presence on earth is coming to an end. He's returning to the Father in heaven, but will not abandon his disciples In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Pentecost. We're going to offer to anoint everyone with oil and invite God to increase his life-giving presence with us. We're going to say the words, and we might use other words, but lots of you might want this prayed over you again and again and again. I anoint you with oil, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask our Heavenly Father to fill you with his Holy Spirit to strengthen you in your body and soul. Amen. We hope and pray that this will not only give us an assurance of God's loving presence with us, but will also empower us to participate with God in his mission to the world. What a promise in Matthew 28 verse 20 to end Matthew's gospel. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the climax of Jesus' work with his disciples. It's the most glorious of graduation ceremonies. The disciples had had a wonderful privilege of having three years, a three-year training program modelled and facilitated by Jesus. We don't get the same privilege to be taught by Jesus in person, But we have each other. We have his teaching in the Bible and the presence of the Holy Spirit to teach and guide us. Like the first disciples, we too are invited to encounter the crucified, risen Jesus. As I say to people quite frequently who haven't done that, they dare to pray the prayer that God would reveal himself. So if that's you this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, dare to pray the prayer. 
You've got everything to lose if you don't. And so much more to gain. Why would we want to live our lives if there is a God and not knowing him because we couldn't be bothered to ask the question? We too bring our worship and our questions. We too are called and commissioned as participants in God's mission. And some of us have got different capacity. So when I'm preaching this at 8 o'clock and other services when lots of people are on Zimmer frames, we have to repackage that in some way that accounts for their human limitations. But the root desire is the same, whether we've got the capacity to do it or not. We too can help others make God connections. We too can make disciples, baptise and teach them. As a church family, we too are called to embrace the greatest commission of all, to go and to be disciple-making disciples. We do this with God's authority and the promise of his eternal abiding presence. Amen.